0: You can go ahead and turn to Hebrews 9 if you would like to, please. We'll be there in a moment. We'll be going through quite a bit of scripture, though, together as we wrap up our series we've been doing. We looked at God's covenant with Abraham, how Christ fulfilled that, uh, God's covenant that he made with Moses and the people. We looked at Pastor Spencer the first week, looked at uh, sin, and then as a result of sin, God makes a covenant with Satan, saying, I'm going to destroy you. Uh, Also makes a covenant, though, with Eve, saying, from you will come one to to crush the serpent's head. He'll bruise your heel, but you're going to crush his head. Uh, And then we looked at the Davidic covenant, and we saw how in the new covenant Christ fulfills all of these. As we've been going through these together, though, my mind kept thinking about the threefold offices of Christ, of Jesus, and so I want to talk about that this morning and throughout church history this really has been debated uh, some what i mean by the threefold offices of christ is this that jesus is our prophet our priest and our king and that he fulfills all of those roles all of those offices that we see in the old testament being filled by different men uh, throughout time that christ fulfills them all completely and finally that we do not need more of them he is our prophet priest and king and as i said it's been debated some some will say there's only two offices they will combine the office of priest and prophet some say these distinctions are simply unimportant some say they're unbiblical because you can't find a place where it says you know specifically jesus is our prophet priest and king i can't take you to a passage to show that but i think this is very helpful i think it's a very helpful thing for us to understand i do think that the bible teaches us this, to see these distinctions in these offices and to understand how Christ fulfills them. And I think it's because it's rooted in creation of when God created man and the roles that God gave man, whose berkoff in his systematic theology points us to the fact that Adam, he says, was created by God and he was prophet, priest, and king and that he was endowed with the knowledge and understanding. He was given righteousness and holiness and with the dominion over the lower creation, to rule creation. But yet Adam and his sin disrupted all of that. Sin changed all of this. And so what we have in Jesus is we have in Christ, this this baby that we celebrate being born in this manger, what we have in Jesus is we have the God-man. Fully God, fully man, the only one who can fulfill all of these roles completely and perfectly. He can, he can fix what sin has disrupted, and he has. And so really, I would encourage you to pay attention this morning. I, I would encourage you to pay attention all the time. Uh, but if you're like me, that's hard, it's hard to do. I get that. But I would encourage you to understand this this morning, because I think if you can understand how Jesus fulfills uh, the roles of prophet, priest, and king, you will get a pretty succinct understanding of what God has done for us in Christ and, and I think you'll have a better understanding in yourself, but also a better way to explain to others when things come up. And so I really think it's a good thing to grasp and to know. And so what we'll do is we'll take each of these offices, talk about them a little bit, and show how Christ has fulfilled it. <clears throat> the first is Jesus as our prophet. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18 says this, command him. This was a prophecy of Christ and how Christ would fulfill this, even Moses himself speaking here, and Moses being one of these prophets of God. But we've got to answer the question first. What is the role of the prophet in the Old Testament? What was the duties? Well, the duty of the prophet was to reveal the will of God to the people. And so as the prophet would receive God's word, we see it in all different ways in the Old Testament, dreams, visions, whatever it might be he would then relay this to Israel. Tell the king, tell Israel, <clears throat> however it went about, this was his job. You need to let the people know what the word of God is and what they need to be doing. As I mentioned, Abraham was seen as a prophet of God. Moses seen as one of the first prophets of God. Moses was given the law, right? He was given the law, and then what was his task? Go tell them the law. Go let them know what the law is. Go tell them what God has Said. It also tells us in Exodus 33 that Moses would actually spend time in the tent of meeting. And he would go into the tent of meeting to meet with God, to hear what God had to say. He would leave the tent of meeting and he would tell everybody, This is what God has said. This is what we are supposed to be doing. He was fulfilling his role as a prophet. Prophets also were called to interpret the law to the people. And they were the ones who were to push the people towards morality to push the people to do the law and to obey the law. And they would encourage them to do this all throughout the Old Testament. Now, sometimes we know that Israel would follow what God said and other times they would not. And this is where one of the difficult duties of a prophet would come in because it was their duty to warn the people of God, the coming destruction that they were about to face because they were not obeying God. They were not following what God had told them to do. And we see this a lot of times uh, with the major and the minor prophets. They're told to go by God to go to some king and not to give good word to the king, but to tell the king, you scoundrel, today your life will be taken from you, or <laughs> pretty soon uh, a foreign nation is going to come and overthrow Israel. Not, not a position I think any of us would want to do or to be in, but this was the life of God of a prophet, a very difficult task. But yet, it's amazing, when you read these passages in the major and the minor prophets, it's always still coupled, though, with the promises of God. King, know this, they're about to come and they're about to take Israel, but also know this, the steadfast love of God still remains on Israel. His Hesed love, His faithfulness is still there on them. Even though they're disobeying, even though there is a penalty that needs to be paid right now, and it's going to be paid, know this: God still is not going to leave Israel. That promise was always there. Well, when Christ comes on the scene, we see that Jesus himself fulfills this role of a prophet, the prophet that was promised. All the way back when Moses declared, as I read in Deuteronomy 18, that one would come from your brothers who will speak the words of God to the people. You see in Acts chapter 3, verse 22 through 23, Peter says this this is the prophet Jesus. This is the prophet that Moses was talking about. And so this isn't Pastor Tim making this up saying, Jesus is this one in in Deuteronomy. No, the, the Bible tells us that Jesus was the one in Deuteronomy. Peter himself declares this. Jesus also himself declares to be a prophet. He didn't shy away from it. In Luke 13, 33, he says, Nevertheless, I must go on my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. Declaring himself to be a prophet. And so, he again, he doesn't deny this, but Jesus was much more than just a prophet that we understand in the Old Testament. Because, remember, Moses had to go into the tent of meeting, and in the tent of meeting, he would get to hear from God. And God would speak to him, and then Moses would go and tell everybody what was being said. But the Bible tells us something very different about Jesus. In John 1.14, which many of us know and have memorized, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. While while a normal prophet would have to hear from God, Jesus actually is the Word of God. There's no time where Jesus has to hear and receive so that I can go and say, I don't know, I don't understand, tell me what I need to tell the people. No, he is the Word of God in flesh. 100% no ifs ands or buts about it and so he then reveals himself to all people revealing the word of God to all people in fact the Bible tells he is God with us completely God Hebrews 1 3 he is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and he upholds the universe by the word of his power I think a place that we get lost when we think about Jesus being fully God is we think about he is the son of God therefore he has some of the characteristics of God just like maybe you with your children right? you can you can see your children you see a mannerism that they do and you think oh my gosh that's just like your mom but they're not exactly like their mom but they have some similarities I think I think sometimes that's how we think about Jesus with God the father we think there's some similarities there no No, that is a mistake for us to think that way. He is the exact imperant, fully God. No, no, partially 100% God and 100% man. He is the Word made flesh, revealing himself to us. And this is why we can call him our prophet. This is why he fulfills the role of prophet, well, the next office is priest. While the, while the prophet represented God to the people, the role of the priest was to represent man to God. Aaron is an example of this. Moses' brother Aaron is a priest. And this is an important distinction to make because both, both of these office, prophet and priest, are, are called by God, but they did have different roles and different functions the priest would sacrifice would make these sacrifices and offerings from the people to God and also make intercession on behalf of the people so the priest would go to God on behalf of the people and you remember in the old testament all of the stuff that the priests had to do in order to even approach God in intercession or to approach God for forgiveness this process was no joke was no joke. And so for us today, you getting to church, I don't know how it was. It could have been maybe very hectic for you. For me, it was very lazy. We didn't start till 10.30 today. We didn't have Sunday school. I felt like I had tons of time this morning to get to church. And so it was kind of just a lazy ordeal. Let's just go to church. It wasn't like that for the priests. It wasn't, hey, let's just roll over to the temple. Let's kill a goat and then let's go have lunch. It wasn't like that. It was serious matter. The priest was representing sinful man and was walking before a holy God who said sin equals death, and they had to go to this God and say, will you please forgive us again? Will you please forgive us again? And so every year they would appoint a high priest, And on one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, the high priest was called to go into a place called the Holy of Holies. See, outside of the Holy of Holies, there were things that happened all the time. Every day, different things were done, sacrifices, different, different offerings, different things, burning candles, all this different stuff was taking place so that man could be represented before God. But on this one day... It was a day of atonement. It was a day when the sins of all the people would be, would be laid before God and forgiveness was sought after. And so the high priest was tasked with having to go into the Holy of Holies where inside this room was the Ark of the Covenant. Now the Ark of the Covenant was important because inside the Ark of the Covenant was the tablets of the law. It was the law. The law was in there. On top of the Ark of the Covenant was something called the mercy seat. It was the mercy seat, begging for mercy over the law. And so, what the high priest was told to do is they were told to go into this Holy of Holies after ritual baths and cleanings and sacrifices for their own sin. They were supposed to go into this place with the sacrifice, and they were to take the blood of the sacrifice and they were to spread it all over the Ark of the Covenant. All over the mercy seat. And the thought was this. This is what God had established for them. When God looks down, where normally he would see the law and they would be judged by the law, what God would see before he sees the law is he sees the blood of a sacrifice on the mercy seat asking for mercy. It's the people saying, you gave us the law, but then God, you gave us these sacrifices and we have done our best to do all of these sacrifices to find forgiveness of our sins God, will you once again forgive us of our sins this year? This is the day of atonement. This is what has to be done year after year after year, high priest after high priest after high priest, over and over and over again. And what it has to tell us and what it told them was that your sin is serious. It's not something to just wash over. It's not something to just say, I'm here again. Again. No, this is serious business, your sin. And so the priest's job was serious. I have to go to God on behalf of these sinful people, and what we deserve is punishment. But I have to go to him again saying, sorry, will you forgive us? And so God had established all these rules and practices for the priests and the people to obey him. But sadly, it oftentimes wasn't done correctly. He wasn't obeyed. Well, what we see when we get to Jesus is in Christ, we have a priest who actually is perfect. We have a high priest that has no need for ritual baths. Well, we, we, have a, we have a high priest that has no need to go and, and to kill anything for himself so that his sin can be covered. Because the Bible tells us that in Christ, what Jesus did is he lived a life from birth All the way until his death, that was completely perfect. No sin. Face temptation, just like you and I. But how you and I say, oh, that sounds good, I'm going to do it. We fall into it. Jesus never fell into it. Jesus never said, you know what, I'm a teenager, I'm going to sow my wild oats. And his parents were like, you know, yeah, that's just what teens do, let's just go do it. You know how we do that today? Uh, You know, it's just something that we do at that age. Not Jesus. He never fell into that. 100% sinless and perfect. And so this makes him a perfect priest. I would encourage you to read all of Hebrews again if you want to know more about this. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17 to 18. says, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. So what this is talking about is while I say, you know, Jesus never sinned, I'm not telling you Jesus never suffered. I I can't sit here and tell you Jesus never struggled with a stubbed toe, that Jesus never had an injury. I I can't tell you anything like that. Jesus never faced loss in his life. No, the Bible tells us the complete opposite. He was poor. since says he had no place to ever lay his head. That his, that his life was struggle all the time. Even when his ministry started, people were around him constantly. He couldn't even find any alone time. No, no peace at all. Because people were always around him wanting things. This is the life that he lived, but he lived it perfectly. And so in him we have a high priest, yes, that's perfectly sinless, but we also have a high priest that perfectly understands your situation. See, I always find it difficult to minister to a family when they come and they've experienced death of a child. I've never been through that. I've never faced that, and I hope I never do. But I've never faced that, and so I can't look at them and say, I know what you're going through. I can help you through this. I know what it feels like to experience this kind of loss. I don't. I have no idea. What that is like. But when we go to Christ, He understands completely all of our trials, all of our pains, all of our hurts, and all of our sufferings. And this is what makes Him the perfect high priest. Hebrews 4 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. You can go to the bookstore right now and you can find all kinds of books out there on how to be rich. Rich people love to write books about how they got rich. And they will tell you, you take these steps and you're going to be rich. And I got to tell you, those books sell. They sell. People want to know, what does it take? But what I just read there in Hebrews chapter 4 should be the book that's flying off the shelf. Who can I go to? What can I do to deal with this sin in my life, this hurt and this despair? The answer is you have to go to your high priest, Jesus, the one who knows exactly what you're going through, yet he conquered it, and he's conquered it for you. This should be what sells out, but it's not as flashy, I guess, as money. Well, I told you to turn to Hebrews 9, and this is why. This is a bigger section, and I do want to cover it. Because in Hebrews chapter 9, it talks about how Jesus serves a better covenant. You see, the Old Testament priests served the old covenants that we had been talking about and we have been teaching about. But Jesus established and brought forth the new covenant. And he is the high priest of a better new covenant. And this is where it is discussed. So please follow along with me and try your best to focus as I read these verses. Beginning in verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places. So again, I talked to you about the high priest going into the Holy of Holies, right? He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats, not by blood of calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established." For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So we can stop there. That's the Old Covenant. You remember Pastor Scott taught about that? When Moses shared the law with all the people, and then it said, and then he threw blood on everybody. It's kind of, I told him, you should have said it's like a Gallagher concert or uh, comedy show want to be in the front row, you can get the most of it. Really clean. Right? All this blood. Why? Because without blood, there is no forgiveness of sin, and that is our problem. That's what the people realize. As the law is being declared, we have a problem. We can't do that. Well, then God says, yes, you have a problem. You can't be my people then. But God established a way for them to be their people through blood. And so this was the old covenant that the priests would do. Verse 23. Thus it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Let me wrap all this up. What's what's being said here in 9, 11, 28? First, it's saying Jesus is a better high priest than any other high priest ever because he's perfect. He's perfect. He's sinless. He understands us. But it's also saying this. He's a better high priest because priests would walk in with the blood of goats and bulls and all these different things. Jesus didn't walk in with that. Jesus walks into the holy place with his own blood. His own perfect blood. You see, when they would make sacrifices with lamb, with bulls, with goats, they had to be perfect animals. No, no ones with three legs, none of them with blemishes, none with sickness. They had to be perfect. But even in that, those things were never perfect. There were problems with those animals. Jesus is perfect. Perfect. And he walks in with the perfect blood of the Lamb, his own blood as our high priest. When he walks into that holy place, you remember what was in the Holy of Holies? The Ark of the Covenant. And what was in the Ark of the Covenant? The law. Oh, that standard that we just can't live up to. Jesus can walk right up to that standard because he fulfilled it perfectly. He's not afraid of that law. Where you and I would fear the law because before the law, we are guilty. He is not guilty. But not just that. Jesus fulfills this law, but also we see in Scripture that Jesus is the mercy seat. That seat that was placed on top of the Ark of the Covenant that covered the law that we would beg for mercy on, Jesus is our mercy seat. He is what we get mercy from God from, nothing else. He alone can provide us this mercy. And he doesn't just leave that mercy seat plain. He covers it with his blood. And in so doing, the Bible tells us here that then Jesus, as high priest, can actually be a real mediator between man and God. (laughs) Those high priests of old, when you go to them, they they weren't talking to God. They were doing, yes, to things that God wanted them to do. They would intercede on behalf. Oh yeah, but... We go through Christ, who actually is the true mediator. We have a high priest today who sits on the throne at the right hand of the Father and who every day mediates on our behalf as those who've been saved by his grace mediates on your behalf to God the Father for you. For you, each and every day. Oh, you you might think a lot about the day you came and knelt at these steps and you say, gave my heart to the Lord. What a glorious day. Christ does that for you every single day on behalf of you. Because every day you sin. Every second you're sinning. All the time we are falling short. And so in Christ, we have a better high priest. He has done all. All of this. And what is best of all is he's done it once and for all. He doesn't have to do it again. Those high priests had to go every year again and again and again. Can you think about that as a kid? We got to do this again? Again? Yes, again. But in Christ, there's no again. Once and for all, Hebrews 10 says, For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Pastor Spencer read that earlier. So, Jesus is our prophet. He is our priest. And then, lastly, we won't stay on this long because we talked about it last week. Jesus is our king. We saw this with the line of David and the covenant that God had made to David of how we need a king. Remember, God had promised David that the heir of the throne would come through his lineage. And we saw how this was Jesus, how Jesus came in the lineage of David. But I think, and we talked about this in our midweek discussion that we put out on a podcast, it's really hard to talk to Americans about a king because we conquered a king to be Americans. Remember that? And so they don't have a good taste. We don't have a good taste in our mouth about, about kings. We, we want it out of the rule of a king. But, and so it's hard for us, I think, to grasp the meaning of this. But a king is seen as a savior king is one who has saved his people from his enemies a king is one who has saved them from ruin and starvation and destruction this is what this is what a king a good king does cares about the people under his rule and his authority and so we see that when you have a good king there's great blessings to the people and they praise their king and they're thankful for their king but when there's an evil king it's ruin for the people When you have a king that's selfish and only wants things for himself, it hurts everybody else. It's not the type of king that we would desire. Yet what we see in Christ is in Jesus we have a king that lives, that reigns forever. And if you were here on Christmas Eve, he's a king that humbled himself, humbled himself in a way to come and be with us. I gotta remind you again, Jesus did not have to come as a baby. If Jesus wanted to, he could have came as a 35-year-old king to come and dominate and destroy. But that's not how he came. He came humbly. And he came as one who serves. He came as one who would be obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Why? Because this was the will of the Father. And this was what was going to establish his kingdom. A kingdom where everybody in the kingdom is seen as righteous and holy and perfect because of the blood of the king. Because the king was the one willing to go and fight. You remember one of the problems with David, with the story of Bathsheba? Where was David supposed to be when he was there flirting and sinning with Bathsheba? He was supposed to be at war, he was supposed to be leading his people in the battle. He was supposed to be the one in the front, and he wasn't. He was at home, and it led him to sin. In Christ, he went to the front. He went to the front lines that you're not willing to go to. He went to the front lines that I am not willing or capable to go to. And he took it all. He took all the wrath of God the Father. He took every punch and fight that Satan could possibly give him, and he conquered it. Oh, he died. Yes, Jesus died, but only for three days. Because the Bible tells us our king rose from the dead. He rose from the dead, conquering death, conquering Satan, conquering hell, crushing the head of the serpent. And then the Bible tells us some days later, he ascends to sit on his throne forever. And that one day, he will come again. I like what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. And this is our King speaking. It says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That's what he says. What a statement. The guy who at one time would say, I am gentle and lowly at heart, now says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And he doesn't just send there, which would be fine as the king. Go, go do. What does he say? And lo, I'm with you always. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. This is our king. Not only did he go to the front lines and conquer our enemy for us, he says, Even though I've already done that, I'm going to be with you always, still. I'm still with you always. And so, what we have in Christ is we have one who has fulfilled these three offices that God had given us. These roles that had been filled by men all throughout the ages is all wrapped up in this person, Jesus. He is our prophet. He is our priest, and he is our king. At least he is for those of us who've been saved by his grace. And so if that's you this morning, I hope that you'll praise him. I hope that you'll worship him. I hope that you'll thank him. I hope that you'll serve him as your king. For those of you this morning who haven't trusted in Christ, I hope that you will. I hope that maybe through the reading of his word, through the preaching of his word, God has shown you something, has opened your eyes to some truth that will change your life forever so that you can declare like I can declare. Jesus, you are these to me. You're everything to me. I trust you fully as my representation of God to man, as my representation of man to God, and as my king who sits on the throne forever. I trust you. I hope that you'll do that this morning. Let's bow, let's pray, and then we'll sing a closing song. God, I thank you that you have had a plan before the beginning of time. For some reason, in that plan includes my name. Not because of how good I am or how talented I am or how special I could be. It included my name simply because of the love that you have for me that is undeserved. And God, the reason that that love is there is because of, of Jesus. God, because of the perfect life that he lived, because of the humility that he came with, because of his willingness to obey you all the way to the cross, to death, but because he could conquer death, of which I cannot do. And so God, I'm thankful that even now, as I pray to you, you hear me. And the only reason you hear me is because Jesus is the mediator. Because Jesus has promised to intercede on my behalf. And so, I thank you for that. I thank you that you care enough, even about us here in this church, to allow us to worship you, to allow us to praise you, to be sanctified by you each and every day. God, help us to know you better. Help us to understand your word better. Help us to be willing to take the time that it takes to study and to grasp. And not so that we can be puffed up, but so that we can know you more and thus then worship you better and honor you better and glorify you better. Jesus, as our king, deserves to be To be glorified to be lifted up and God so often we're not we're not willing to do that and we we feel we can't do it adequately enough so God help us help us to do that if we really believe that apart from Christ we deserve hell and punishment but yet in Christ all of that is washed away if that's really true and we believe that God I pray that we would act that way and that would be worshiping you so God, as we get ready to close this service, we want to sing a song, and so help us to sing it to you. God, help us to take this time now to reflect on your word and what it has said, and I pray that we would respond to it how we should. Whatever that might mean for each individual in here, help them respond to your word faithfully and truthfully. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.